And I stay active in um, in women's sobriety groups on social yeah. media um, just for that reason, because seeing people who are at the beginning of their journey or who want to make that step, but like just cannot get there yet. That is a, such a strong reminder of what yeah. the reality really was. And because you don't see that and people don't talk about that normally in, in just everyday circles. It's such a great community. There's a lot of toxic online crap in pretty much every, every online community I've ever been in. And the, um, the sobriety community is, is just incredible. It's just get, get involved even before you're ready to quit. That would be a, a good first step, I think. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober Podcast, episode 110. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last six years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we believe it is really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. And each week, we feature a community voice just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. There's one thing that I forgot to mention that just popped up now that I really think I have to mention because this has been the most profound benefit for me is that my levels of anxiety have been totally oh, reduced. Yes. And, and I have, I do have high levels of anxiety. Um, my job requires a lot. makes me even more anxious when I feel I can't perform because I'm too tired. And my, I've been able to cope with making difficult decisions a lot easier. Because I'm, my anxiety is less and I'm just fresher. And yeah. that was a game changer for me, an absolute yeah. game changer. So if you want to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. And in fact, it's a great time to sign up because during May we're running an annual membership special. Just insert the code AN for annual 05 2022 when you sign up and you'll get a 20% discount. So I'll put that code in the show notes, but it is ANN05 2022. This week's podcast episode is all about alcohol-free fiction. We often talk about the prevalence of alcohol in movies and TV series, but what I'd never thought of was the way that it comes up in literature as well. Just as on TV we see many troubled detectives with an alcohol problem, we also come across these characters in fiction as well. In fact, here in South Africa, we've got a best-selling novelist, Dion Mayer, and his books feature recovering alcoholic police captain, Benny Griesel. 
Novels tend to portray alcohol use as tough and gritty, or fun and relaxing, or romantic and sexy. Take your pick. As a culture, we've internalised these ideas, which have contributed to the normalisation of drinking in society. My guest this week is trying to create some balance by featuring a sober heroine in her novel, which is called Bubbles in Space. Sarah Jensen is a Canadian science fiction author and strongly believes that we need more sober characters in fiction. For people in recovery, sober characters can be powerful and inspiring. Sarah shares her own recovery story with us and explains how she's drawn upon her own struggles with alcohol to create her fictional character. I began by asking Sarah to introduce herself. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, my name is Sarah. Um, I am a science fiction author. Um, I write under the name S.C. Jensen. And um, I live in Canada in northern Saskatchewan. And um, I have been, uh, I was first published in 2014. And that was from a traditional publisher. And then last year was the first year that I um, started self-publishing. And um, and things have kind of taken off from there. So Wonderful. Well, congratulations on uh, being published and uh, the books that you're writing. We'll learn more about those as we go along. So as a writer, you've drawn uh, from your own battle with alcohol for inspiration, which is so interesting. So please talk us through your own drinking story. I don't think there was anything all that unusual about my drinking story. I dabbled a little bit with it in high school, um, but it never turned into anything really out of control. In university, I did the typical cramming all week and binging on the weekends. That was probably not the healthiest, but it wasn't really abnormal either. As I got into like, after after I graduated from, from university, I found that it was getting harder and harder to like control those binging sessions when they when they happened and drinking was a big part of the work culture I was a part of I didn't really try to stop but um, I was starting to feel like was getting a little overdone and then it wasn't until after I had kids um, and I was able to not drink during like while I was pregnant and all that kind of thing that was never an issue Um, but I really started started drinking a lot more as just a part of, I mean, I used kind of mummy wine culture as like an excuse. Anything was an excuse to drink, I guess. Yeah. Um, so so mummy juice is alive and kicking in Canada oh, as well, is it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and I um, and that combined with the fact that it's also a big part of like writing and, and creative communities um, where you get the kind of advice like, uh, write drunk, edit sober, and um, there's this idea that that drinking somehow unleashes your creativity, which I eagerly bought into both of those in order to justify the fact that I was that I was drinking far too much. And I I realized after I received a diagnosis for postpartum depression that I had been self medicating fairly severe postpartum depression um, for about four years before I realized that that was really the the driving force behind behind my need to drink as much as I as much as I was. It was kind of a getting to the point where I I finally decided that I had to to stop was kind of a I don't know I went about it kind of a roundabout way. I guess I just reached a point where I realized I had to make a choice. My kids weren't in school 
yet. And I realized that if I was going to be able to support them, I, that I had to stop drinking. I could either, I could either be a mom or I could be a drinker and I couldn't do both. And the same was true for, for my marriage. And the same was true for my, my writing. Um, It had taken up so much space in my head that I didn't have room for anything else. And that was when I decided that it was, that I had to stop. Yeah, well, well done you for for analyzing it so cleverly at that point, because sometimes when we're in it, we can't really see what's happening. When we run workshops and things for people, we always ask them to write their why list. You know, why do you want to give up drinking? And they're always, mm-hmm. you know, really significant things like the ones you've just mentioned. You know, it's their kids, their family, their career. So mm-hmm. we've, we've always got a very sound reasons for, for giving yeah. up the drink. So well done for coming to that decision. Can I ask you what kind of age you were by then? It was four, just about four years ago. So right. how old am I now? <laughs> I don't I know. Would, yeah. <laughs> I think I was 34, 34. Okay. Okay, well, well My done God. again for for, for <laughs> getting you. the hang of this. You know, at such a such a tender age, it took some of us, <laughs> including me, a, a lot longer to <laughs> to figure it all out. So you decided, you know, that to be a better mom, wife, uh, writer, etc. Yeah, and to to go back to what you're saying about writing, it is so interesting because, um, you know, I've had people that have been worried. You know, creative people: will I still be able to paint? Will I still be able to write? Mm-hmm. And uh, I did quite an interesting podcast with a a writer a, a couple of uh, weeks ago, and we were trying to smash some sobriety myths, you know, and one of the myths was that you need alcohol to be creative. So, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later, but that myth is fueled, isn't it, by the fact that admittedly there were some writers that were very talented and drank a lot, but that doesn't mean we all have to drink to be creative, does it? No. And, and, you know, we have this, we have this twisted idea about it where we've started to kind of conflate the two where um, those those writers who were both brilliant and alcoholics or addicts, we start to believe that they were that they were brilliant because they were alcoholics yes. or addicts, like as, as if, you know, this being a tortured artist is somehow, you know, the wellspring of creativity when when really they were the very, very, very few who were able to who are still driven enough to succeed despite their addiction. Um, And they're not, that's not the norm. Like most of us just, just drown in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was thinking about Hemingway the other day. I saw a documentary Hmm. about him a while ago and uh, you know, obviously he was a a wonderful writer, but you know, such an alcoholic that by the time he got in his late fifties, early sixties, he could hardly string a sentence together. You know, it had just taken over completely. Yeah. And, and you have to wonder how much, how much better could he have (laughs) if he hadn't like, because it's all consuming really like alcohol addiction, any kind of addiction, it uses so much of your brain power just yeah. just to battle with that need and if if he had access to the rest of his the rest of his you know mental and emotional resources how much how much more brilliant could he have been yeah i mean he would have been writing into his 80s i'm sure if mm. uh, if he hadn't have gone gone down that route and i think you know i was one of the really the, these functioning alcoholics as we like to call ourselves yeah, we yeah. put so much energy into holding everything together yeah. that once we do get sober you know the the relief 
because we can use that energy for so it's much more huge. constructive things, can't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk to us about how you got sober, please, Sarah. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, I had this, what I guess I can only describe as an epiphany one one morning and I wasn't any more hungover than usual. <laughs> um, but I just had this sudden feeling that, that I could just feel that it was a poison. I could kind of feel my body responding to, you know, days and days and months and months and years and years of this slowly building up this toxin in my body. And it just hit me all of a sudden, like I'm, I am killing myself. And that's kind of what made me think like, do I, like, I have to make a choice because I'm not going to like, I'm on that, the very peak of this slippery slope that is a suddenly going to become a really fast slide downhill into severe illness. And I decided to put the brakes on before I kind of crested, crested the hill there. And it was, it was really a kind of moment of, of panic almost when I realized how far I'd pushed myself. And because I was a very high functioning drinker, nobody else really knew what I was, like how much I was drinking and how much it was consuming my every thought. So nobody really, I didn't actually tell anybody that I had decided to quit because so much of my drinking happened by myself. So I really, I I relied a lot on online resources um, to kind of get myself focused. There's a there's a Reddit group called Stop Drinking, which um, which was really helpful to me um, as a community. Um, and then um, because I'm a writer, I'm also a very big reader, and I and I read everything I could about alcohol addiction and different ways of of getting over it. And I found um, uh, Annie Grace's book, This Naked Mind, um, was really instrumental uh, for me. And it's, it's a classic, isn't it? That it helps us yeah. see through all the BS, you know, that the marketing industry are chucking yeah. at well, 24 7. Absolutely. And then, kind of, my anger about that yeah. really helped motivate me. But, like, even though I had wanted to stop drinking before, I, part of me was really holding on to this resentment because I felt like it was something I had to do rather than. Um, something that I was choosing to do because I wanted to. Um, and, and reading that book really made me realize that the choice to quit drinking is, it is a choice. It's a massive opportunity. Like you're, you're making the choice to, to save yourself from so much so much pain and suffering and your family. And, and when I, when I began to look at it that way as something that I got to do rather than and that I was fortunate enough that I, I could make that choice um, because I hadn't hit rock bottom. Then, then it became much, much easier meant, um, to accept that choice. And I no longer um, at that point felt afraid of the idea that I would never get to drink again. I realized that, that not drinking again was, was a gift. It wasn't a punishment, you know? You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. I think seeing it as an opportunity, as as you say, I mean, that that completely reframes it and it makes it mm-hmm. something exciting to do. Because often, you know, when we, we've gone down the road of drinking quite far, we, our world gets very small. You know, all we're interested yes. in really are alcohol-related yeah. activities. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you don't realize it so no. much until you stop. And then you're like, well, who am I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah, we can um, get then, in touch with what we really like doing again. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And another book that really helped me was uh, was one called The Biology of Desire by Mark Lewis, um, which talks about what actually happens in the brain um, when we develop addictive behaviors. And, and, it, and it talks about everything from, you know, people who are addicted to sex or to, to shopping to harder drugs and alcohol. And it just and it talked about just the kind of the science behind the changes that happen in the brain. And, you know, when we train our brain that we get certain chemicals by doing certain activities, how the brain Despite what we want personally, the brain will send these signals that cause us to feel like we want to drink or whatever, despite the fact that we know we don't. And, and understanding what was actually going on in my brain when, you know, you felt you feel these urges and then you feel guilty about it. And But no, understanding the science behind it really helped me to remove the, the guilt that I felt. Um, and I began to understand that almost anybody who who had trained their brain the way that I had trained my brain um, would respond the same way that it wasn't some innate weakness in my personality that no. caused this to happen. Right. You just got um, addicted to an addictive substance. Exactly. And it there's happens. no, like it, and it happens far too often because we don't, we don't realize how addictive it is. No. Um, so that was another important one for me. And then as when I was, when I was more, um, in my sobriety, I, I reread an, an older book, um, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, which I had tried to read years ago, and I just ended up being frustrated with it. I thought it was too fluffy and silly. But um, in sobriety, I found that mindfulness was something yeah. that really helped keep me grounded in in the moment. And, um, and it allowed me to be able to feel a lot of the negative feelings that come along with first getting sober and just accept the fact that I was going to feel that way and um and then let them move on and not to dwell on it too much so those three books i think were really instrumental to me yeah yeah i think it it really helps doesn't it when we start trying to understand what on earth's going on you know what what yeah. is addiction all about and how can we you know turn it around so you 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 almost tackled your issue intellectually didn't you to start with by, I, by learning I about it <laughs> And did did it work out? I mean, were you able to just stop drinking one day and keep going? Or when I made that decision, that was I just made the decision and then stopped because I in the past I had tried moderating and I had tried quitting, but all I but I had never you know really accepted the idea that this was a never again kind of thing. Yeah, um, I would always you know play those games with myself. Well, you know if I can stay sober for three weeks or if I can stay sober for three months, then I don't really have a problem, and then I would be okay to drink again. Yeah. Um, so I had done that kind of thing many, 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 many times um, yeah. before that that mindset shift where I knew I was going to quit and I knew it was forever and and I felt good about it. When that happened, then I was able to to stick with it. Yeah. Um, I think uh, accepting that we can never drink again, that's when we find peace really. Yeah, absolutely. It's still hard um, at first, not so much now, but at first and it, go, it kind of goes in, in stages I found. Yeah. Um, you know, at first it's like that three weeks was a big milestone for me. And then six weeks. And then I started, I don't know why I work in threes. Then three months was a big <laughs> deal and six months and nine months. And by, but by the time I was at a year, I felt very like that felt like a big milestone. Yeah. And I had 
physically like the addiction was gone and it was just every every so often dealing with those you get these weird twinges of nostalgia almost for yeah. for the way that you remember the good times but if you're as long as you stay as long as you you're not complacent about it you can remember exactly what the bad times were like and how those memories are not really the uh they're not the truth <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we recommend that people write a goodbye to alcohol letter, you know, as if it's an abusive lover and they're just getting it out of their, their life. And yeah, that's the, a really good idea. Yeah, we've got to get one out of you. You'll do a brilliant one. <laughs> I and, should. And in that letter, you know, a lot of people put all the bad things, well, not all of them, can't it be yeah. very long otherwise, but some of the things that have gone wrong when they're drinking. And, and I, th- yeah. I think that really helps because if we do feel tempted, we need to remind ourselves just how bad it was because our That's- our brain tricks us. You know, it it tells us, oh, we weren't that bad, you know, and yeah, maybe exactly. we can just have one glass. <laughs> but- yeah. Well, and I stay active in, um, in women's sobriety groups on social media um, just for that reason because seeing people who are at the beginning of their journey or who who want to make that step but like just cannot get there yet that is a such a strong reminder of what the reality really was and because you don't see that in people don't talk about that normally in in just everyday circles so unless you really seek out the people who are struggling um and you know offer your support and that kind of thing um it's very easy to to fall into that belief that you know i'm better now i yeah. don't ever want to do that so yeah, I, I love staying connected with the recovery community because i think we all understand each other in a way that yeah. you know our friends and family just don't unless they have yeah, the same issue so I agree with you about a year that that was about it for me. I mean, I had to focus for about six months just on not drinking and the rest yes. was really about navigating society, you know, which is obviously yes. drenched in alcohol. <laughs> so you have yeah. to learn all these tricks and decide yeah. what you're going to say to people when they come up with their annoying questions. So yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. A, year, a year is pretty good. So did you keep a journal? I, you know, I didn't, I did, I blogged about it a little bit. Um, just when I, when I did finally decide to quit and after I had been successful with it for long enough that I felt like I wasn't going to embarrass myself by, by relapsing. Um, I did blog about my choice to stop drinking and why I, why I had done it. And, uh, and people were very, very supportive, which was, which was nice to see. Um, and I think part of just being um, public about it, as a writer and uh and i'm and i'm very open about it just in with social media and that kind of thing um that kind of keeps me on track as well because you know for so for so long drinking was um a major part of my identity like it was something i joked about and you know i was you know sarah likes her wine and that and it became a part of who i was and i think a really instrumental part of me becoming sober was to accept that now sobriety was part of who i am it's yeah. and it's something that i need people to know about me because because so much of the way that i do things is based in that yeah and yeah. Uh, and it helps hold me accountable and i think we should be proud of being sober you know absolutely, t- absolutely. and it takes so much courage don't you think and confidence yeah, to go yeah. against the flow so uh, i'm very out and proud <laughs> yeah and well and, and it's and it's because of people who were out and proud when i decided to quit that that I was able to find the resources that I needed yeah. and that I was able to feel okay about my decision you 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 really do feel ostracized from 
you know, pop culture and, and just mainstream society when you decide to quit, because it's not something that a lot of people talk about. And so I wanted to be a voice of of strength and and of positivity to people who are on the fence about it and and even people who don't who've never really reached a, a really rough patch with their drinking but maybe just want to know that they don't have to participate in that that side of things if they don't want to and you don't have to hit rock bottom to make a choice to to stop drinking like that's it's okay the the clever people get off the slope before they hit rock bottom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's the trick to recognize, oh, I'm in a bit of trouble here. I better yeah. stop. Sounds like yeah. you did that. So well done. How long have you been sober now? More than three years, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> you I, and your I, threes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm coming up to four years this summer. Lovely. Well done. If you had to talk to someone who's considering going on this this journey, which is not at all easy, but it's worthwhile, what what benefits would you highlight? What have your main benefits of sobriety been? I think the biggest thing for me was that realization of how much how much addiction was taking up space in my head. Um, and you don't you don't realize until it's until it's gone. And and early in sobriety, you you're so focused on, you know, just not one more day, one more day, not drinking that you don't really notice it until until that starts to be normal. And then all of a sudden, when you're not thinking uh, all the time about, you know, when's my next drink? How long do I have to wait before it's OK for me to drink again? And um, all these justifying things and calculations and th- that was always going on in my head when I wasn't doing that anymore. All of a sudden. I had so much energy for all of the things that were important to me. I had more more patience with my kids. I had more, uh, my writing was more uh, focused and I was able to be consistent in a way I never had been able to before. And just all of a sudden, it, it was like having twice as much brain power. It's, it's weird. It's weird to say, but like I, so much of my, so much of my mental energy was just consumed with alcohol, even when I wasn't drinking. And then when I finally was able to let go of that, it was like unleashing like superpowers in my brain. It was crazy. Yeah. And, uh, and it takes a while to get to that point, but now I'm like, I don't know how I even, how I managed, but like, I don't think I could ever go back to that. I, I hope I never do. But it is like, all of a sudden, I have full access to my mind again. And and then you have so much more potential. Yeah. And to me, that's the biggest, that's the biggest upside is that you just get to be you um, and not carrying around this extra voice in your head all the time that's taking up all of your energy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if alcohol uh, doesn't destroy you and it doesn't destroy everybody by any means, but it will always um, prevent us from reaching our potential for for those reasons that you spoke about. So far from, um, you know, stopping your creativity (laughs) when you stop drinking, in a way it fueled even more creativity and energy and, you know, motivation to write, didn't you? So uh, we have to Mm -hmm. smash that myth, don't we? Absolutely. (laughs) So let's talk about uh, characters in fiction. You know, first of all, let's talk about all these drinkers, you know, because I don't think I didn't even notice it until I got sober. But now, I mean, every time I watch TV, I actually in my head, I'm timing it. You know, when is the wine coming out? (laughs) Usually it comes out (laughs) within five minutes. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And it didn't used to be like that. 
everybody used to smoke in the old movies. Drinking has become that way now, right? Yeah, it is true. In in TV and in movies and in books. And and for me, because like I'm a I'm a really big reader. And and when I was like early in recovery, um, reading is was kind of my safe space. And for a while there, I had to read young adult books because it was the only thing that I could read that wasn't going to be triggering. And I because I find that even even when when books handle addiction in a more critical light, there is a kind of romanticization that goes along with it, like these, especially um, like the alcoholic detective trope, Always. where, you know, it's, we like them because they're suffering like that. And it kind of, and it builds this um, mystique around addiction that is, is strangely compelling, even after you've, you've gotten out of that yourself. And for a long time, I really avoided a lot of my favorite genres because I just couldn't I couldn't separate myself from that and I and it made me feel um like I was missing out on something or, or like I was somehow incomplete by not having that part of my my life anymore um and it took me a, like a, at least a year I would say before I started to feel comfortable um enough with with my own sobriety that I could read and watch movies without feeling too um Triggered, too triggered really. when that kind yeah. of thing happens. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and some books I still, depending on how it's, how it's portrayed, some books I will still stop reading because I don't need to, I don't need to feed those little thoughts into my, <laughs> into my head. I find some women's fiction is really bad for that. Mm-hmm. Um, with the, the girls night stuff and, you know, you go out for drinks and, and it's, or, you know, these romantic dates and the whining and dining and it's, and it's never, it's never criticized and it's just made out to be this fun, lighthearted, like, and I really struggle with that, that idea still. It makes me, it makes me angry um, because that's what I bought into. I think it's subliminal as well, isn't it? We, yeah. we don't even think about it consciously until we get sober and then we notice it all the time. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people are reading it and they're, they're just kind of absorb it into their subconscious. Yeah, and they, they buy into it, yeah. yeah. So you made a conscious decision, Sarah, to create a sober character. Is that true? I, I did. And, you know, I didn't I didn't start doing it consciously. Um, I mentioned that my first book came out in 2014. Um, and that and that was when I was when I was drinking. And um, the main character of that series uh, was very much using alcohol and other substances in order to escape a pretty dark situation it's a it's a science fiction like a dystopia kind of thing she lives in a pretty brutal world and and that first book she was very much like me and 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 then when i went to write the sequel um i started writing the sequel when i was still drinking and i finally finished it after i got sober and i found and this is after i i rewrote the stupid thing three times <laughs> before i finally finished the book and by the by the final draft i realized that i hadn't been able to complete it until the character stopped drinking. She got sober as I was getting sober without me even realizing it. And after I after I noticed that that had happened and I realized how much, uh, you know, that had been a critical change in, in her kind of character arc over the series, I, I began to realize that, like, I, I don't think I can write characters who drink anymore. Maybe in, you know, 10 or 15 years, I might be able to write a more 
critical perspective on it, but I, I really don't have any interest in partic- in, in, you know, in producing more of these. And, and then because, um, so, so with the series that I, that I put out last year, I, like, I love the old, um, hard boiled noir detective stories from the, from the thirties. And, and they are all these kind of like hard drinking, crusty old guys. And, and I really wanted to flip that trope on its head. So I decided to have like a female detective and I decided that she was going to be sober and not like sober so that I could use it as a, you know, plot point when she relapses. She was, she was sober and she was staying that way. And, um, and it became a really huge part of her emotional arc, um, for, for the series, just making that choice. And, um, and it really drove me to, to finish the, to finish the series and, and to, you know, to keep her character developing and and moving forward and overcoming a lot of the challenges that I had had to deal with. And it became this kind of background story that uh, maybe other readers don't even notice, but it was very important to me as I was writing it. That's wonderful. So you've created uh, someone, a character that's thriving in her sobriety, really, rather than suffering. Because as as you were mentioning those other guys, you know, all these troubled detectives, because we have male and females, don't we, that we see. Yeah. And they... Um, they, they are sober sometimes, but they nearly always have a relapse, and it's such yeah. a drama, isn't it? When they well, and, and one of my, yeah, one of my favorite uh, authors, uh, Joe Nesbo, he writes these Scandinavian crime thrillers, and he they're fantastic books. But his alcoholic detective relapses at least once a book, <laughs> and it's just become a part of the. It's just a part of the plot structure now, and I just find it so frustrating and I understand like that it's a part of a part of his his character and it makes sense but I don't think that the relapse narrative whether it's realistic or not is particularly helpful to people who are in sobriety or considering sobriety because it kind of paints this picture that relapse is inevitable and then it's kind of hard to commit if you feel like you're you're doing all this work but that you know everybody fails eventually or what you know I don't I don't think we need to look at it that way. I don't think it's necessary. And it would be nice to see some examples of people who who don't relapse and who, you know, maybe struggle in their sobriety, but who manage to overcome that and and, you know, gain all of the the advantage advantages of of sobriety along the way. Yeah, we we need to think to see to understand that it's something really worth kind of striving for, don't we? And that relapse Mm -hmm. isn't inevitable we've got a South African author that writes very popular thrillers here and his character you know the same character is in every book you know we you start the book and you think oh I wonder how he's going to be this time (laughs) how long before the relapse it's it's kind of inevitable and that that paints a rather depressing picture for someone I think that that is nervous about giving it up anyway. You think, oh, I do all that work and then I have a terrible relapse and end up, you know, worse than I was before, which is not the case for most people. Yeah. And, and I mean, it is true for a lot of people and, and maybe those stories are enough to caution some people away from, you know, getting to that point in their drinking. And I don't think that we should silence those stories 
but we need more yeah. positive variety stories to balance it out. Like we yeah. need to, to show both sides. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where I'm hoping to go from, from here. I think I've, I've made the choice now that I'm only going to write sober characters and maybe, maybe that's just a book where there happens to be no drinking and it can just be like a fluffy, safe, place for for people to read and and know that they're not going to be triggered by something in my my bubbles in space series is a very um gritty world and there's lots of addiction and and lots of reasons to drink which makes uh, i think her choice to stay sober that much more powerful um and she acts as as a direct you know reflection of the the other side and not not giving in to that need for for escape you know, how much of a difference you can make when you choose to face up to problems instead of running away from them. Um, that's the biggest, the yeah. biggest shift in her character um, from, from when she was a drinker, which I, you know, kind of flashback to a little bit um, to who she is now is that she's, you know, no longer numbing those feelings of dissatisfaction with her world and is now, you know, actively trying to, to change it. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Yeah, and I, I think there's a real need in the recovery community for, for these kind of books because, well, we always give our, our members, you know, a book list of all the quit lit, like, you know, Annie Grace, et cetera. And yeah. there, there's yeah. some wonderful books out there, but there really aren't any fictional books out there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we need to get you on all those, those reading lists, don't we? Yeah. I actually want, I want to, I mean, I need to make it kind of like a group project because I can't, I can only read so many books, but I would love to have a list of just fiction that has sober characters um, or that doesn't include, that just doesn't include drinking for one reason or another, just like, you know, the safe list. Um, and because I, like, I know I have read some that have them, but now I don't remember because unless you're actively looking for it, you kind of don't notice, but I know like Terry, Terry Pratchett has one, uh, character who gets and stays, uh, sober in his, in his books, the watch, he's got this series. And, uh, and that was like, that was a really great character to read even when I was when I was drinking I I realized that like I really respected his choice a lot um in the way that it was presented and um and I'd I'd love to have just a list of books like that for people who especially in early sobriety and just want a break from the constant barrage of media that that pushes us back towards that lifestyle yeah because I think we we do need to do a lot of reading in early surprise here. I know I did like you, you know that was my safe space. So imagine Sarah that there's someone listening to this and they know that they're drinking too much they're like you were they're like I was, but they're kind of in denial, but the fact that they're listening to this means that they're not completely in denial what yeah. what would you say to them to um you know, to help them get started because that's the most difficult thing, isn't it? You just don't know how to start. You don't know how to start. And it seems very overwhelming. Um, I think, I think my advice um, would be to just, you know, recognize the fact that you are questioning your alcohol use and know that the fact that you're questioning it is enough. You don't have to wait for some big moment. Um, you don't have to wait for the DUI or for your kids to get taken away or to lose your job. You don't have to justify 
your desire to decrease or or cut out alcohol from your life. It's it's valid to just recognize that maybe this isn't doing you any favors anymore and to stop. And um and I think it's important to to uh seek out other people um who have quit and you know learn a little bit from them about what it will be like and prepare yourself for the the shift that happens in your life when it comes to friends and socializing and and that kind of thing because I think that's often the hardest part for people is is they they would love to quit drinking for themselves but they're not sure how they're going to fit in with with the way that they socialize and their friends and and family and that kind of thing and um you can do it and I think that being prepared for it ahead of time helps immensely. So, you know, hang around in in online groups and listen to people who've been there and um, just kind of absorb as much information as you can before you take those steps. And then it starts to feel a lot less overwhelming and you don't feel so alone. And that's, I think that's the big thing. Like none of us, we're not alone in this. There's so many people from uh, all different walks of life and, you know, all different levels of abuse who have quit and who have stayed sober is such a great community. There's a lot of toxic online crap in pretty much every every online community I've ever been in and the um the sobriety community is is just incredible. It's just get get involved even before you're ready to quit. Yeah. That would be a, a good first step, I think. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean I agree with you about the sobriety communities. It's just so authentic, isn't it? And it always makes me think of uh, the power of vulnerability, mm-hmm. you know, taught by Brene Brown because people are, are so open yeah. and so honest. And I think if you're a newbie and just thinking about it, just hearing from people that are a little bit further down the line and they can say, Oh yes, you know, yeah. when that happened to me, this is what I said to people, you know, it just makes all the difference. Yeah, yeah we get people yeah. um kind of what's Stopping us when they're at an event saying, oh, everybody's pressuring me. What shall I say? So we yeah. find ourselves giving live <laughs> advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I've become very comfortable with just telling people, oh, I don't drink. Yeah, and then yeah. if they feel like they have to know why I'm, I am very open about the fact that, you know, it wasn't good for me. I think that something that people don't maybe realize is that the people who push back the hardest when when you quit drinking, the people who give you the hardest time are often people who are also questioning the amount that they're drinking. And it it makes them feel a little bit vulnerable that, that you have made that choice because it forces them to question their own drinking. And uh, if they were totally okay with the, with the amount that they were drinking and didn't feel that they were in any kind of trouble, then, then they're going to be like, oh, you know, that's great for you. You know, I wish more people, you know, made that choice or, and I, I've had people who are like, that's so awesome. Like and who have never been drinkers and who are just happy to have another sober friend at a party. And there's just, there's so many people there that we just don't even realize are non-drinkers or people who are drinking, who just wish that somebody else was also not going to drink so that they had an excuse not to. Like I've had so many people in my life have reduced their drinking yeah. because I came out as being sober. And that's a really powerful thing. It is because we're we're role modeling sobriety, you know, we can do it very discreetly, but, but that's what we're doing and and it's powerful. 
So Sarah, uh, let's finish by hearing about your books. So talk to that you've got a series out, haven't you? And so what are they called? How do we find them? So, and how, how can we connect with you? Tell us everything. Okay. So the series is called Bubbles in Space. Um, that's the main series. And then I also have, like I said, a, a smaller side series called The Hollow City Case Files. Both of them feature the main character is named Bubbles Marlowe, and she is uh, my reimagining of the classic noir hard-boiled detective um, like uh, Raymond Chandler's uh, Philip Marlowe, who she's named after. But it's science fiction, so it's in a genre called uh, cyberpunk, which... Sci-fi readers are probably familiar with, but maybe if you're not uh, not a big sci-fi reader, you maybe don't know. But some of the big cyberpunk works are like are um, movies like Blade Runner, Terminator. Some of these old '80s movies were were really big, and and books like William Gibson's Neuromancer. Um, those are kind of the ones that shaped the genre. But what cyberpunk is is uh, a niche of of science fiction which examines some of the economic disparities that are caused by technology. So you get this kind of high-tech, low-life dystopia where, you know, rich people have access to far more technology and, you know, medical advances and that kind of thing. And then the people who uh, don't have access to that are kind of living in this gritty underbelly of society. That's kind of the backdrop. But really, it's it's kind of a spoof on the old detective novels in this fun, flashy sci-fi city with holograms and cyborgs and uh, and that kind of thing and it's really um like there's there's a lot of gritty darker cyberpunk out there but my series uh with bubbles is really meant to be um fun and playful it tackles some serious subjects but it is really supposed to be fun it's got larger than life kind of comic book style characters fantastic well i'm gonna check her out for a start do you have a website, Sarah? Yeah, I do. It's uh, www.scjensen.com. So thank you, Sarah. That was fascinating. And now I know what cyberpunk means. Let's pull out a few key points. Although she dabbled in high school and had the occasional binge at college, Sarah's drinking didn't really take off until she became a parent and signed up as a fully-fledged member of the Mommy Juice Club. When a diagnosis showed that Sarah had been suffering from postnatal depression, she realised that she'd been self-medicating with alcohol for years. And as a writer, she was also part of the creative circles who bought into the belief that alcohol fuels creativity. Write drunk, edit sober was a popular myth. I discussed this myth and others in my interview with South African author Eusebius MacKaiser in the Tribe Sober podcast, episode 77. That one's called Busting Sobriety Myths and was released in January 2022. At the age of 34, Sarah realized that she was facing some choices. Was she going to be a better mom or a drinker? A better wife or a drinker? A better writer or a drinker? She was beginning to realise that drinking was taking up such a lot of space in her head that there was no room for anything else. We talked about writing and we discussed the twisted thinking that arises due to the fact that some brilliant writers were alcoholics. But of course they were not brilliant writers because they were alcoholics. 
It was more down to them being so driven that they were brilliant in spite of being alcoholics. And we wondered how much better they could have been and how much more they could have written if they were not drinking excessively. Most functioning alcoholics are using so much energy to hold it all together that when they stop, they have a surplus of energy to use for far more constructive endeavors. We see this over and over in our tribe. Sarah talks of having an epiphany one day when she could sense the toxins building up in her body and she realized that she was on a very slippery slope. As a voracious reader, she turned to Quitlet. Annie Grace's book, The Naked Mind, made her realize that she had an opportunity and a choice to save herself from a lot of pain. Because she hadn't hit rock bottom, she felt fortunate that she was able to make such a choice before she became totally dependent. And she realized that sobriety was a gift and not a punishment. This reframing helps us to change our mindset. At Tribe Sober, we say that sobriety is an opportunity and that we'll gain so much more than we will lose. Another book which resonated with Sarah was The Biology of Desire by Mark Lewis, as she wanted to understand more about how the brain works and the science behind addiction. She also discovered mindfulness and read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. So in fact, Sarah had tackled this problem intellectually, but she also connected with online sober communities to keep her on track. And as she began to clock up some sober time, she found that one of the most important advantages of being in a sober community was that it served as a reminder of just how hard it all was at the beginning. We've both been blown away by the authenticity and kindness of the sober online communities. And if you're looking for a small and friendly international sober community, then go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. In early sobriety, Sarah did feel some nostalgia for the good times, which would have been triggered by fading effect bias. That's when our brains trick us into forgetting the bad times and remembering the highlights of our drinking days. I explained to Sarah that we recommend to our members that they write a goodbye to alcohol letter, listing just how unhappy alcohol has made them over the years. Something to read back over when fading effect bias strikes. Sarah has promised to write us a goodbye to alcohol letter herself, and you can find all of ours on tribesober.com, inspiration, goodbye letters. Send yours in and we'll be happy to publish it. We also discussed how drinking becomes part of our identity and that when we ditch it, we have to work on our sober identity and be out and proud. And Sarah wants to be a voice of strength and positivity, not only for dependent drinkers, but for normal drinkers. She wants to show people that you don't have to participate. We agreed that there's no need to reach rock bottom. The smart people step off the slippery slope before it gets too difficult Benefits of sobriety for Sarah include more mental space together with a feeling of extra brain power. We always say that sobriety is a superpower and it sounds as if she experienced that. She uses her extra energy and motivation to focus on the important things in her life.
In early sobriety, reading was Sarah's safe space, but she found that some detective stories and woman's fiction would trigger her. This made her determined to create some balance by having a sober character in her book. So she's drawn on her own experiences to create this character who is thriving in sobriety rather than being miserable and relapsing every five minutes as in many books. Sarah wants to create a safe list of books to read in early sobriety, books that will inspire rather than trigger us or give us FOMO. So please send me your recommendations and I can pass them on to Sarah. I asked her for some advice for anyone who is thinking of quitting. She said, just know that questioning your drinking is a start. And then seek out others on the same path. And prepare for a shift in your social life. But remember, you're not alone in this. So that's great advice. Thank you, Sarah. Sarah's latest book is called Bubbles in Space, Tropical Punch. And you can find the info about that and her other books on her website, which is called scjensen.com. Her name is spelled J-E-N-S-E-N, so scjensen.com. So let me finish up with a message from one of our chat rooms. This message is from Lucy, who came to one of our workshops in London years ago, and she's been sober ever since. I'm three years and seven months sober now. The memory of how bad drinking was is well faded now, but I now know how much harm it was doing my health and mental well-being, and I don't want to die a slow and painful death. I love doing all my arts and crafts and creating things. I love being present and calm and growing as a person. Do I miss drinking? Honestly, no. I do everything nice that I did whilst drinking, sundowners, holidays, celebration, parties, etc. And they're all so much better being sober. I'm learning to cope with the bad times and not be controlled by my negative thoughts and emotions. I'm caring less and less what people think of me, what's not to like. So whether you've ticked off day one or day 101, tomorrow will always be better for it. Thanks so much, Lucy. That's why it's so important to be connected to a sober community, because you hear that kind of inspiration from people that are further down the line than you are. And when you're just starting out and feel overwhelmed, you need to know that it's worth doing all the hard work. It's worth doing this thing. You need to hear from the other side. So if you'd like to join our tribe, then just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. And don't forget that May is a great time to take out a membership with Tribe Sober because we're offering a 20% discount on annual membership. Just put in the code a double n zero five twenty twenty two. It's valid during the whole of May twenty twenty two. And if you like our PDF, seven ways to become and stay sober, just write to Janet at tribesober.com and I'll send it to you right away. So thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast. And we'd be so grateful if you'll leave us a review. See you next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. 
We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.